Hey everyone, this is Mike. This podcast is going to be on how to keep an airtight corporate veil. It's a topic that doesn't get a lot of attention, but can certainly creep up on you as the years go on. So as a general rule, corporations and LLCs are considered separate and distinct from their shareholders and members. This means that the owners are not personally liable for the debts and obligations of the business. However, this is where things get a little bit creepy. There are instances where courts have seen fit to pierce the corporate veil, disregarding the company and finding one or more of the owners personally liable. So this term, piercing the corporate veil, is a legal term of art that means the corporation no longer provides protection to the individual members or shareholders. And this is a kiss of death because what this means is that the members or the shareholders, depending on whether it's an LLC or a corporation, become personally liable for uh, the debts of the company. Or, God forbid, if there was a lawsuit and there was a judgment entered in favor of a plaintiff against the corporation, um, the individual members or shareholders could become personally liable for the judgment against the corporation. In this podcast, what I seek to do is give you some tips for ensuring an airtight veil so that there cannot be any piercing of the veil in the event that a vendor comes with a bill and tries to um, uh, tries to put one of the members or shareholders on the hook for paying for it because the corporation failed to pay it, or in the case of litigation where a judgment is entered and the corporation is not solvent enough to pay that judgment, and as a result, the plaintiffs are trying to seek recovery of the damages from the shareholders. So again, this is all meant to protect the um, individual members or shareholders from judgments, liens, uh, debts, um, any one of those uh, things. So in New Jersey, um, there uh, the corporate veil cannot be pierced unless there are exceptional circumstances. There has to be a showing of one, that the owner exercised complete domination of the company with respect to a certain transaction, and two, that such domination was used to commit a fraud or injustice which resulted in an injury to a third party. Those are the two requirements, and I'll repeat them once again. First, that the owner exercise complete domination of the company with respect to a certain transaction, and two, that the domination was used to commit a fraud or injustice that resulted in an injury to a third party. Now, one factor that courts consider is where the business owners fail to observe corporate formalities. Uh, now, what I mean here by the owners failing to observe corporate formalities is that these range from holding annual meetings to uh, keeping accurate and detailed minutes on the company books to maintaining necessary officer positions 
to failing to properly account for money paid to or by the owners. Now, although New Jersey courts will generally place less emphasis on corporate formalities when it comes to LLCs, that doesn't mean that LLCs should throw caution to the wind. Um, I always recommend that an LLC adhere to best practices, and best practices call for um, adhering to corporate formalities, especially, most especially, if um, it was imposed by the LLC's own operating agreements. So it goes without saying that if an LLC's operating agreements calls for ABC, then the members must adhere to ABC. Otherwise, um, you know, by failing to do so, they put themselves at risk. What I've done here is basically compile a checklist of best practices that company owners should follow. And by following this checklist, it'll help to dec decrease the chances that the corporate veil will be pierced. First, you want to adopt bylaws or an operating agreement. Uh, when it comes to a C corporation, this is the basic. Um, this is the bare minimum that's needed anyway to jumpstart a corporation, the bylaws and an operating agreement. So adopting bylaws or an operating agreement is critical. What's as critical as adopting the bylaws or operating agreement is complying with them and making sure that they're being followed by all directors and officers or members and managers. For corporations, it's necessary to hold both an initial and then annual meeting of both directors and shareholders. Minutes of all meetings <clears throat> should be taken and kept safely stored with all other corporate documents. While it's good practice for LLCs as well, it's generally not necessary unless required under the company's operating agreement. Corporations uh, should formally issue stock to shareholders and LLCs should issue membership interest to members in writing. The names of the shareholders or members and how much ownership they have in the company should be kept current and stored with the rest of the corporate documents. Uh, fourth, you want to keep a log of all other major business actions, including agreements with third parties, and retain them for at least seven years. I say seven years not just because um, it sounds like a good number, but it's uh, seven years is usually the required amount of time that records have to be kept. Next, you want to have separate letterhead and business cards that clearly list the name of the company. Any office space signage should clearly list the name of the company and not just that of its owner. Uh, next, you want to keep bank accounts of the owners and the company separate. That goes without saying. Uh, there can be no commingling of funds whatsoever. Uh, so the bank accounts of each of the individual owners and that of the corporation are kept separate and distinct. Uh, you also want to make sure the company is adequately capitalized. And by adequately capitalized, what I mean here is um, it might be capitalized by requiring owners to make scheduled contributions 
or by keeping a minimum amount of funds in the company's bank account. And we'll discuss the necessity of keeping a minimum amount of funds in the company's bank account for something called the uh, trust fund uh, recovery penalty uh, later on, but just keep that in the back of your mind for now. Um, always good practice to keep a minimum amount of funds in the company's bank account. Uh, what I recommend is to keep at least three months worth of anticipated costs in the company's account to cover overhead expenses, employee salaries, contractor fees, um, and uh, the withholding taxes, uh, which are considered uh, the FICA taxes, um, as well as the um, employee's federal income taxes. Uh, this goes uh, to the IRS, and uh, we'll touch on that a little later. Uh, you don't want to fund the company only when bills are needed to be paid, and you never want to uh, draw the company's assets down to zero. Note that every business owner, regardless of the type of business entity, is personally liable if the business doesn't pay the taxes it withheld from its employees' paychecks. So <clears throat> we're going to get into trust fund taxes just for a second. The Internal Revenue Code requires payors of amounts to withhold for taxes amounts paid to certain individuals. That's a fancy way of saying that employers have to withhold from employees a certain amount. Um, and this the amount that is typically withheld from the employee's wages is the employee's share of federal income tax and the employee's share of FICA taxes. So um, this is when you basically have a situation where the worker is an employee and not a 1099 worker or an independent contractor. Um, so what I'm referring to here is a situation where the employee is, um, you know, is basically a full-fledged employee and, um, you know, is working uh, for the company. These withheld taxes that I just mentioned, uh, the uh, federal income taxes and the employee share FICA taxes are collectively referred to as trust fund taxes. The theory behind trust fund taxes is that the employer has paid those amounts to the employees so that the employer is no longer entitled to the amounts and by retaining the amounts holds them in trust for the government until they are paid over to the government to be applied to the employee's tax accounts. Um, and so the arrangement that uh, the IRS has basically created is by um, making the employer a withholding agent of the of money that um, legally belongs to the IRS, and you know, and that's why um, the employer is considered to hold these um, these monies in trust for the government until they're paid over to the government, and uh, that's why it's essential for the company to be solvent and to always um, possess at least three months' worth of anticipated costs. And again, this goes um, not only for um, the company's obligations to 
the IRS, but also to cover the overhead expenses, uh, to cover the salaries, to cover to cover um, merchant bills and uh, bills to vendors, um, everything uh, related to operating a company. Uh, but where things can get a, uh, can get uh, really dicey is if the company does not have the money um, to pay to the IRS because as I've indicated the company is considered a withholding agent and can get into a lot of trouble if it doesn't have the um, the employees federal income taxes and the employee share of FICA taxes to pay to the IRS uh, when it um, makes its payments to the employees by paying the employees its wages. Um, so this is very tricky here. And um, again, if the government defaults on paying, the, um, uh, paying this amount to the IRS, the individual shareholders can become personally liable for these um, taxes. Uh, for these trust fund taxes. That's why it's very important that this stay top of mind. Uh, the next thing here is you don't want to personally guarantee the debts of the company. Um, very important. You don't want to put up your property such as a house or other real estate as security for a business loan. You don't want to sign contracts in your own name. All agreements should be entered into explicitly in the company's name. You don't want to allow owners to share employees, accountants, or lawyers with the company. Uh, if there are common workers or advisors, make sure that they have executed separate engagement letters with the company and that services provided to the company are paid for out of the company bank account. Next, you want to properly account for money paid to or by the owners. Don't deposit your personal money into the corporate account unless it's a loan or a capital contribution that's formalized in writing and agreed to by all shareholders or members. When you need money, you don't want to treat the corporate account as your piggy bank. Uh, that, is, um, that, that is just, uh, that's a death knell right there. Um, if you are deducting funds from the corporate account um, and using the corporate account as if it's your own checking or savings account uh, for all intents and purposes it's your piggy bank and what you've done is um, you've basically uh, violated the fiduci fiduciary responsibility which prohibits you from uh, using funds in the corporate account as your personal funds Instead, when money is needed, uh, when you know when uh, money is needed by the shareholders for personal reasons, the proper way of doing it is holding a board meeting, and at that board meeting, uh, voting on a dividend or a distribution, and that is the proper way of um, that's the proper way of uh, of a shareholder receiving money from the corporation. It's improper for a shareholder and violates fiduciary duty for a shareholder to go to the bank and merely withdraw money from 
the corporate account as if it's a personal savings or checking account. So it's a very fine line here and this distinction can oftentimes mean the difference between whether the corporate veil is still in place or whether it's been pierced. It can also mean the difference between whether a shareholder retains his, um, his uh, right to be free or uh, gets locked up um, as a result of uh, corporate malfeasance and, um, and violating fiduciary duty. So uh, it is a criminal, it, it can become criminal very quickly if one of the shareholders um, decides to uh, use the corporate account as their own piggy bank and uh, begins to withdraw money from the account. Again, that is improper. The only way to receive money from the corporation uh, to be used for personal reasons is by uh, having a board meeting and having a vote over a dividend or a distribution. And to the extent that um, the, uh, the required uh, majority votes in favor of a distribution or a dividend and that distribution or dividend is made to the individual shareholders, um, you would then pay tax on, on your distribution and then you can use that distribution freely for personal reasons. But that is the only proper and legal way of, um, of taking money from the corporation and using it for personal reasons. When it comes to vendor bills and things of that nature, those are proper bills that are assigned to the corporation and um, the money can be withdrawn from the corporate bank account to pay those vendor bills. Um, but for personal reasons, again, you don't use the corporate account as your personal piggy bank. <clears throat> and so Basically, I'm going to end here by saying that um, if you operate or plan to incorporate or organize a business as a corporation, partnership, or LLC, it's always good practice to consult a lawyer. Um, a lawyer can help you protect your personal resources from corporate liability and, um, make, you, and, and make you fully informed of your rights and responsibilities.